0: This is Mariah Matthews.
1: I'm Stephanie Avila, and And you you are are listening listening to Art & Isms. Isms.
0: Hello? Hey Steph, yo, meet me at the intersection of Art & Isms. Why, what's up? There are artists using their platforms to create social change. Oh cool, how are we getting there? We're gonna get there via poetry, music, and fashion. What does that even mean? It means we are covering the movement where artistic expression and social activism intersect and the collision of what becomes is the rebirth of a better nation. There we will see that when an artist creates, a society remakes, and the generations that follow
1: become liberated. You coming? Now I got you, I'm there. So what's poppin'? Today, I interviewed Laikwa Nuna Yawar. He's best known for his murals, which are these poetic dreamy, surreal, and really grand collages. I always feel like I'm looking at the history of something when I look at them.
0: But Laikwa doesn't just go around painting pictures. He is constantly involved in nonprofit work. He's even a founding member of Young New Yorkers, which is an art program that helps teens stay out of jail. Plus, he's a world traveler.
1: South Korea, Germany, Argentina, Italy, Iran, and so many other countries. He's based in Newark, though, because Brick City got it like that.
0: Ew! Everywhere he goes, he's teaching people, supporting nonprofits, and learning about different migrant experiences. His focus is immigrants and drawing on heritage to create a better future. Where's your family from, Steph? Honduras. And a little Guatemala and Spanish somewhere in there, too. Half of my family is from the Dominican Republic, and the other half are American-born descendants of West Africa. I wonder about the rest of Newark. Nigeria.
2: Israel. My ancestors, my grandparents both came from Russia. Cuba. Um, China. My father is from
0: Greece. Yeah, Romania. Ethiopia and Al-Qibulon. Spain, at the, I believe, I believe Spain. In fact, I'm actually 21% Nigerian. Pakistan.
2: Panama. <laughs> South Africa. I'm also part Irish. India, I was born in India. I came for, here for education, so definitely India.
0: My dad is from Puerto Rico and Cuba, and my mom is Portuguese. So it's a crazy kind of a mix. Really. <laughs> Like will talk to us about all the different roles he fills. But let's head to the interview to find out why he refuses to call himself an activist.
1: You call yourself an artist, organizer, Mm -hmm. instigator. And some would call you an activist, but Mm -hmm. you don't like that label.
2: No, I have too much respect for activists and their work. And it's a way of life. The activists I know do this all the time. And a lot of the time, they don't have a lot of support or not a lot of funding for it and it's very very passionate work I'm not doing that but I can be an ally to people like that so I am just that last piece in a puzzle but that change is gonna happen if a lot of people come together it's just the limitation of art as well art by itself is not gonna change anything art can be a tool that can lead us to change I help as much as I can but I know that what I do best is this, and I can use it for good.
1: (laughs) How did you get involved with the Gateways to Newark Portraits mural series?
2: I was invited by curator Rebecca Jampol and Newark Downtown District to sort of manage and co-curate the project. But you know, our whole idea was to sort of create an entrance for Newark that reflected what was inside. So that's why you have different artists from different parts of Newark and different parts of the world sort of reflecting on uh, what is Newark today.
1: And you spend a lot of time here between Newark and New York. Why is this New Jersey, New York area so special to you?
2: That's just a reflection of my own migrant history. I'm from Ecuador. I migrated when I was 14. And I came, I landed in the Bronx and settled in New Jersey with my family. I find it super Beautiful, important for that reason. And yeah, it sort of mimics my life trajectory.
1: Your life trajectory. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't fully understand what you meant there.
2: I know that sometimes we think of migration as this, neither uh, here nor there, not from here, neither from there, sort of idea. But I think we've grown beyond that to fully accept that we are from two places that I have the agency to speak about Newark, to speak about New Jersey, to speak about the US, and also to speak about Latin America and Ecuador and what that complexity means. So a lot of the times when I'm working, I just take that role of that bridge and I become a sort of translator for, let's say, a project or a community or a campaign. And I create that art to put those messages into words and to bridge that that sort of like unreality and that dream reality with art um that's what i mean because i think that is what migrants do like they just dream up reality they create homes they create cities and i'm just trying to reflect that as well
1: now i'm sure ecuador was so different from uh where you guys landed in the bronx What were some of the ways that they were similar and that the Bronx kind of reminded you of where you had grown up?
2: The fact that there's so many of us here. (laughs) And, like, yeah, there's uh, migrant communities everywhere. And I can be anywhere in New York City or New Jersey and hear Andean accents or, like, hear Mexican accents. And last night that happened to me and I heard somebody speak and they sounded like my grandmother. And it just made me realize, like, you know, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, you will have the same thing. You will have this future where migrants are still there. Like if we go to the moon, there's going to be a Peruvian migrant there. Or there's going to be somebody (laughs) that you can hear and it will bring you back to that connective history that migrants create.
1: Now, you are a founding member of Young New Yorkers. Tell me about that program.
2: So Young New Yorkers um, basically is an alternative to incarceration project based on art. And I was one of the founding members as a teaching artist and curator for a benefit that we put together. Basically, artists and graffiti artists and street artists donating work so that kids don't have to go through their experiences in a way. One of the reasons why I collaborated with Rachel Barnard, the creator of the program, was because I had been arrested for making art illegally on the street. And I went through the New York City system, (laughs) and it was just horrible, and it made me very angry. And sometimes that anger comes out as creative work or having to push for change. And, you know, it is a horrible system that is outdated, and being able to work with tons of volunteers and people to create a program that allows for second opportunities is something that I really love. So that project has been going on for a while, almost six years now. And hopefully we continue to grow.
1: Yeah, I hope so too, mm-hmm. definitely. If you feel comfortable, could you tell me what that was like as a young person to, to be put into this criminal justice system?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was sort of a choice. Like I knew what I was doing. I was breaking the law. I didn't agree with just like simple idea of art being illegal or creative expression being policed. I'm also a person of color, so I knew what I was doing. So when I got arrested, I saw that coming. I was ready for it, you know, in my mind, but to actually see it and go through bookings and see the food that you have to eat or the fact that you have to sleep on the floor, all the violence that's in there, verbal and physical, how lawyers don't really care about you, how you just become a number in a gigantic system. Is all injustice like i didn't see any other justice in there so yeah just to use my life and my work to actually push different ideas forward is part of what artists do and that's why i pushed for that project
1: right you're part of young new yorkers as a teacher of art and Mm -hmm. you teach art almost everywhere you go Mm -hmm. why is teaching so valuable to you
2: you know it's it's funny that we have to teach empathy or like teach how to see people as humans but here's this tool that I can use to do that. Just see that all of this American people are the same, that you can see this brown skin burned by the sun that looks the same anywhere. And that is beautiful to me because it just shows me that there are more things that connect us than divide us. So that becomes part of my work as well. As an artist of color, what I do is focus on people of color. And what I'm doing is representing them and putting them out there in a way that might be different than you usually see them. For example, in the news or right now when we live under like tons of pressure for being different. Um, I bring, or I try to point out empathy and humanity with my work. And also teaching keeps it interesting for me because you know I'm not in a studio making paintings. I come from that, from like going to art school, uh, from being in a white cube space, like a gallery or like a white studio where literally that whiteness just means that there's nothing, like it's just UN history. But it's Western history and I think I'm represented by that. So what brought me to make art in public space is because I can see those people and I can see the life and that history uh, and I can reflect it and I can, like I said, telegraph it through murals.
1: And I was reading through your artist statement mm-hmm. and you compare your art to journalism. I thought mm-hmm. that was super interesting. Can mm-hmm. you talk about that relationship?
2: Mm-hmm this sort of muralism based on social interaction and research and interviews and getting to know people and asking them for family uh, photographs, listening to their migration stories, is basically just me researching anything. Like it could be a book, it could be a website, it could be a mural, it could be a story. Uh, It's somehow journalism, and then the output would be a mural, a visual, large-scale painting, which kind of is the result or like the, the broadcasting method. I've sort of used a lot of journalistic um, methods and ideas just to get through my work. So I saw those correlations and um, I've always admired journalists for what they do and how brave they are.
1: So you do these amazing murals and I wanted to hear in your words what one of them looked like. Uh, specifically, could you describe the reflective black body for us?
2: That one's basically a young woman looking at herself. So it's her touching her reflection. And the reflection is basically black and white. And it has this uplifting imagery of clouds and a sunshine and a moon and a dark background. And these are all elements that we can read and make up our own dreams and interpretations of them. And that's how I work. I just... Create this visual poetry that can be interpreted in different ways by different people.
1: Tell me about one of the most touching times that you went to go do research, and maybe you weren't expecting <coughs> to hear what you heard.
2: Um. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, responsibility with this sort of work. It's a lot of weight. I think because of the way I am, my personality, and also like my migration history, I've had to be strong for a lot of people. So that reflects in my work, where I can listen to a lot of really horrible things and find a way of looking at the positive side of that, or just to see the the resilience and the beauty in in people's stories. But, you know, for example, with the um, reflected black body, I had this amazing mother come a bunch of times to the wall and bring me something to drink, food, She was always very attentive, very wonderful. And as I kept working day by day, she kept coming and we developed a relationship. And I never asked her what she thought of the mural until I was done, because I don't want to tell people what it's about. I want them to own it or reflect upon it. And then when she told me what she thought, I realized that that's why I make work. She saw herself and her daughter that had passed away. And you know, it's not a mother and daughter, but it is, if you see it. So she owned the mural by putting herself into it and seeing herself into it, reflected by it. And, you know, it's not my place to tell her that's not what this mural is about. It is if, if it's part of your community and you see what you want to see. I think that's like the most powerful part of murals. So yeah, that was like pretty intense moment.
1: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just <laughs> reflecting on that. So, you said that you did spend time in a traditional artist space, being indoors, basically. Mm-hmm. How is that different and similar? Compare the two experiences of being a, like a traditional artist and being a muralist outside.
2: Mm. Well, you're de- dealing with paint and you're dealing with design and thinking about emotions and how to communicate that. But it com- completely changes when you work with a building or a wall because you're also working with that building and that street and that community. Uh, You can deal with issues in the community and you can deal with private narratives and it becomes this super amazing, larger than life theater for art making. And what I like about working outside is that if somebody doesn't like it, they will tell me. Somebody really doesn't like it, they will censor it. I began by making paper posters at the time, I was living in South Korea, so we travel all over Asia and put up this sort of memories of where I was, and they were all photographs of people from my old neighborhood in West New York, New Jersey. So it was like this sort of leaving my memories there, and it was funny because you know a week later I would see those pieces in a Japanese fashion magazine, or I would come back later and I would see it decaying or being covered by other pieces of art. And it just had a life that it couldn't find in a gallery or in, by making oil paintings, and that's sort of the the power that it has as well, because it can also be used to you know express yourself and create campaigns and movements and speak about injustice or anything else. It's very it's a very powerful tool.
1: And we touched over this already, but our show is called Art and isms mm-hmm. and I have to ask, what? for you is the relationship between art and activism?
2: Mm, You cannot have a revolution without art. (laughs) Can't do it without dancing either or like good hot sauce. (laughs) But there's a nice back and forth between uh, movements and artists and how they translate them and make them memorable. Art is that element that can push you and make you passionate about something. Art is that element that movements have used to transmit their ideas. It's just another language. It's a language that activists use to get things done. Nations use flags. Movements use imagery to galvanize and to push forward. And right now it's important for me to think about this and to create images that don't speak of oppression because we already have that. My images speak about what's possible, what we can create, Uh, the future that we can strive for, the future that we can make.
0: Art and isms, the intersection where artistic expression and social change converge. Hit it, Steph.
1: He came for a chat on art and isms, but he told us what he is and isn't. Yeah, he helps kids stay out of prison, but not all art is activism. Like what to the Nuna you are, painting blocks in the brick sand abroad. South Korea, Puerto Rico, Argentina, Italy, but now this episode is done. Now it's time to peace out. Alright,
0: cut. Art and Isms is a production of WBGO 88.3 FM. This episode was produced by me, Mariah Matthews, and Stephanie Avila. Editorial staff includes Alex Aris, Katie Simon, and Doug Doyle. Thanks to Aaron Smith, a.k.a. Genius, for creating some music for us for this episode. Thanks for listening. Peace.